Hello, and welcome back to Invent Anything. In this episode, we will cover Freedom to Operate, what it is, and the many strategies that can be used to leverage your company. Learn secrets that few companies know, but more importantly, learn how to keep your company from patent lawsuits, as well as to know more about your competitor to build better products and services, and do it all at very low cost. Inventions keep the world spinning. From fire in the wheel to today's high tech, inventions power change. Turn your inventions into reality. Learn how to get your ideas to market. This is Invent Anything with John Cronin. Today we'll actually cover six topics. The first topic is what is free to operate anyway? And what types or levels of reviews are there? The second topic is what else should you consider if there is an FTO risk? What if it's a real problem? The third topic is things that you can do if there is FTO risk. What are the tactics you can use? The fourth topic is how can you leverage FTO in your company? The next topic is how to build FTO thinking into your product development or IP strategy. And the sixth topic is the future of FTO. And as usual, we'll wrap up. Let's talk about the audience. For those really not familiar with Freedom Operate or FTO as they say, and will need a quick refresher, this is for you. For those who might be recently challenged with an FTO issue, stay tuned. For those that may want to raise money and show investors that you're a safe bet for infringement, definitely some interest. For those who might be realizing new products and may want to ensure that they have, quote, insurance from being sued from patent litigation. And a fifth type of audience might be those for those who know all about FTO, but want to learn the many other ways to think about FTO, especially the future of FTO as it meets artificial intelligence. So let's get into it. Let's talk about topic one. What is free to operate and what types or levels of reviews are there? First of all, free to operate or quote FTO or right to use means you have done work so you feel comfortable that you have freedom to develop your product and to sell your product so that there's no issue patents out there that soundly overlaps with your product or service. So you'll feel that you have real freedom to operate your product or service. Intellectual property rights only account in the country or region where there is a patent filed. So if there is an FTO issue, it'll only be in the countries where the patents are issued. So keep that in mind. We're gonna show you an example of an FTO output as we get things started. So take a look at this chart and just for your review, we can take a look at it to give you an idea of what an FTO looks like. You can actually see in this graph that there are a set of columns. Note the colored columns. These are columns that represent the elements of the claims of your patent. So this is a golf ball that has certain aspects to it. So we take aspects of your claim and put them into columns in a spreadsheet. Now the rows in the spreadsheets represent research where we actually find patents that may be related uh, to your product elements. So if you have a golf ball that has dimples and there is such a shape, et cetera, and those are the elements of your product, then research is done to try to find patents that overlap into your uh, product categories. What's happening here is that certain patents might overlap uh, a number of them. You can see X's, for instance. X's represent where uh, there's an overlap between somebody else's patents and your product. One thing you certainly don't want is all X's because once you get all X's, that means that there's a patent out there that has claims where every element of their claim overlaps with every element of your product. That means there's real risk. 
On the other hand, you'll see that some of them don't have X's, meaning we couldn't find that. Well, you don't have a problem with FTO directly, but you may in the future, if you remove one of the elements of your product, or even, even taking a look at this, if you have X's in many, but not in one area, then your product is safe, but it's getting close to somebody else's patent claims. And they could actually file a patent lawsuit against you, maybe thinking that you do have the other product element. So FTO is really doing a search on product elements that you have, that you're gonna be producing or are producing against the patents of others. So this does take a trained specialist in order to do free and operate studies. Now let's get into kind of the levels of review here. The first level of review is that the company generally does this themselves. And basically they don't have the experience to do it, but maybe they go off and look at patents and see how close they are. And they might just report sort of subjective points of view to their management. Also, when they're looking at evidence of, uh, when they're looking at freedom to operate, they're looking for the evidence that uh, there are patents that essentially overlap with the freedom to operate study. In other words, they're probably less likely to feel psychologically that they are violating anybody's patents. So it's important to sort of recognize that there's a point of view to this, that if a company does it on its own, then it can be problematic by itself, notwithstanding the fact that they don't have the, the, the usual experience to do it. The second level of review for FTO is what's called a non-legal technical review. This is inexpensive, usually two to $5,000. It's done by many different service providers like my firm. And what we provide is example output as I just shown. Based upon the experience of the provider, this can be very useful. The caveat is that the company needs to get shielded from the results if there's a problem. And we'll talk more on this later. When a service provider who's not an attorney practicing a non-legal technical review, uh, it's great if they say you do have freedom to operate, but as you get closer to an issue with freedom to operate, you really don't want them involved in telling you that. And we'll talk about that. The non-legal technical review expert will judge the risk and tell you that they should get hired later by a patent attorney of your choice. By being hired for a patent attorney of your choice where there is an FTO risk, they now have attorney-client privilege and they're hidden from subpoena. The level three review is really the legal FTO opinion. This is expensive, it's 20 to $30,000. Usually patent attorneys hire uh, the level two non-legal technical review first and then provide an opinion. This is low risk as it is under attorney-client privilege. No patent attorneys are risk averse in their opinion, so they'll very likely lean towards low risk in their opinion. At this level three, the effort to be prepared will be to have a final report. And this report can go to things like your board or investors, but, does, but then the cost goes up when you bring in an attorney. The best approach really here is to do this sort of level two non-legal opinion first. And if there appears to be a problem, feed those results into the patent attorney for level three review. So this legal review, usually $20,000 is pretty expensive. So it makes a lot of sense to do the non-legal review first. Coming up next to see what we'll do when there is FTO risk. And simply, if you have FTO risk, that may be a problem. What, do you, what should you do? You're listening to Invent Anything with John Cronin. Be sure to visit us at inventanything.net. There's information, articles, and more. And you can leave your thoughts and comments there as well. That's inventanything.net. And now back to John and this episode. So topic number two, the first thing is, you know. So at least you could take action. 
That's better than later on getting surprised by a patent lawsuit. More that it's what kind of risk is it? So if you've got the sort of opinion that there's an overlap between the claims of patents and your product elements or services, then you need to look a little bit deeper. Asking the question, what is the technical risks? What is the strength of the patent itself? And what is the strength of the owner of the patent? We use a tool called Sherlock, which is kind of unique, but it really gets at these sort of common sense areas to explore. And what I'd like you to do is take a look at this next chart and we'll talk a little bit about Sherlock. Now keep in mind what we're doing here is we know we have some FTO risk because there's a patent or two that may overlap with our product or service. The next question is, let's get to the business of what kind of a business risk it is. So you can see in the slide that from a technical risk, you're asking the question, how many uh, times uh, is this claim used in your product? So for instance, the claim could cover the entire product as itself. Well, that's a big risk. So if you have a very simple product where every element of the product overlaps with the patent claims, that's a real risk. But let's just say you have a more complicated product like a cell phone or you know, some complex machine. And let's just say some parts of the machine are covered by a patent. We'll talk about this later, but by overlapping just some of the features of, of your product to the patent claims means that there's probably less risk. The next thing is a patent strength. Well, what happens if there's very little life left to the patent? So there's not as much risk. Uh, a lot of times patents are very strong. They have a lot of citations, meaning that other companies cite them, meaning that they're very valuable to the industry. So if you have patents that are valuable to the industry that you are worried about, then it's more problematic for you because it's likely that the owners of those patents will be more encouraged to have a patent lawsuit. Also note that has the patent been litigated? If the patent has been litigated in one, now you've got a real problem because if the patent hasn't been litigated yet, there's a lot that people might decide to not to do to litigate against you. Uh, the other thing that has the patent had a re-exam uh, because if it has, it's more likely to be stronger than if it hasn't. And also many times patents have a number of family members. So there could be all sorts of other patents related to the patent that you're worried about that could come to play in a patent lawsuit. I'm always surprised when we talk to people about freedom to operate when there's a real issue that they leave out one of the most important aspects of the, of the holder of those patents. You see, what happens if the company that has the patents operates in the exact same space of you? Well, they're more likely to want to sue you to kick you out of the space or to get royalties. If they're not even in the space, then chances are they might not even be following your uh, products, like a university. Also, when you have competitors that are directly competing with you head to head with the same product, now they're even more uh, probably encouraged to sue you. What about the company size? Is it small? Is it large? Does it have deep pockets? Because if the company is small, it's very likely that they probably won't sue you because it costs a lot of money. And then does the company have, quote, litigation um, experience? Do you see them in the paper where they're suing people? So tools like Sherlock or other just basic considerations allows you to look at the technical risk, the patent risk, and the company risk. But really what we're doing here is taking all of that in account, plus the FTO uh, analysis itself, and assessing the overall risk. But this is still done subjectively. Worst case, a company is litigious, it has money, the patent is strong, and it sits right in your competitive product space. So that's a very serious position to be in. Note that FTO really addresses things that can be risks, uh, but now with litigation and patent strength has issues, with there's a year or two left and the technical overlap is small, you may decide not to do anything. 
So as usual, seek expert advice uh, when you're in doubt. Topic number three, well, what are some things I can do if there's an FTO risk? What are the tactics I can use? So after you've completed an FTO uh, search, research, whether it's a non-legal one or now has a Sherlock type of uh, analysis of the business and the patent strength, et cetera, what's the appropriate course of action if there is a risk? So one of the first things you can do is to do an invent around of those patent claims. And hopefully by doing the invent around, you can move your product away from that claim. What's really great is uh, we do these kind of invent arounds all the time. We have an 18 point checklist to try to get around patent claims. It's inexpensive and it could be done where you could literally change your product, uh, hopefully without a lot of uh, expense to get around the patent. Now, clearly you've gotten around the FTO risk because you now get a new product. Now that won't stop the damages from today backwards, but it certainly will stop damages going forward. And if someone sees that the damages are cut off going forward, it's very likely that they'd be uh, not. It's very likely that they wouldn't sue you because there's not a lot of money to be made in the back end. One thing people do, a second fix, if you will, is they buy several patents that they can use for kind of uh, litigation as a safety net. Generally, these are services that third parties provide where you have a serious FTO issue and you ask someone to go find patents that can relate to the competitor's product uh, that you can then use for counter litigation. Believe it or not, this is done quite a bit, especially by large companies. A uh, third fix, if you will, is to invent on top of your competitor's patents. Once again, these are processes that can be used. You can literally think about the improvements that they're gonna have to be in. You then file those patents, put it on a fast track, and now you can have some issued patents of your own that you can use for counter assertion. A third fix, is have a third party offer to buy the patents for you. So someone calls up the competitor, the competitor may not be looking at whether or not their patent is being uh, violated. Someone offers to buy it uh, by a third party, certainly doesn't have your name on it yet. Uh, and if they sell it basically to a third party holding company, then you can then transfer it over to your company and eliminate totally the FTO issue. One of the things to do a little bit more com complicated is fix five you're going to create a multiple entity situation. You see, in order to violate a patent, you have to violate every single claim element of the patent. Well, it turns out in many cases, when you look at the claims that they may have, some of those claims could actually be purchased from a vendor. In other words, they could have a step or a part that you might be able to not practice yourself or not build yourself. You're ordering it and then adding it to your overall product or service later. This is kind of interesting because anyone wanting to now litigate against you, if they find that your patent overlaps, they'll find out that your patent may overlap your product or service, but somebody else's product or service and combined may overlap totally. And this makes a litigation more complicated looking for things like contributory infringers. Fix six, and this is a key one. And this is taking some of the claim elements and looking at them that you may be violating and hiding them. So if it's in your product or service, you figure out a way to take them away so they can't be viewed by the competitor that has the patent. So for instance, if there's a piece of software that computes something, uh, if you could take that software computation, put it in the cloud and put it under some sort of crypto locking key, what that means is that the competitor, when they're researching your product, can't see that you're actually doing it. So take, it, take a, a good look at the claims and ask yourself the question, is this something with some of the elements I can hide? Fix seven. Offer to take a license proactively. 
Well, I mean, sometimes it's better from a business standpoint to get a license than to go through many millions of dollars defending and then having to take a license. But notice this is a last ditch effort, I would say, because it puts you on the radar screen of that competitor's patent. Another thing, and this is clearly done by most people, if there is freedom to operate, a lot of folks just do nothing. They wait for the lawsuit. Uh, the risk is that you'll have to spend a lot of money defending yourself. And also the risk is if you know about the patent and it's on record, then you can have willful infringement, which is 3x damages. Coming up, I'm gonna talk about how to leverage you and the company with this FTO news, specifically how do you build better product and services? And who knows, maybe in the future, FTO can be automated and maybe even minimize the need for patents themselves. You're listening to Invent Anything with John Cronin. Be sure to visit us at inventanything.net. There's information, articles, and more. And you can leave your thoughts and comments there as well. That's inventanything.net. And now back to John and this episode. Topic four, how can you leverage FTO? In FTO research and tactics, if you have responses, but you can do these proactively, proactively and also leverage your FTO, meaning through the FTO research and, and deploying some of these tactics we talked about, you can have responses to what you do and be proactive to leverage, uh, knowing that you have FTO. So that's one of the things, if you can start applying the tactics right away, uh, at least you can get some leverage rather than wait to be sued. A good thing to do is to do the FTO before product launch. Report to the board or investors. This shows thorough preparation of an owner or an executive. It's a great thing to do to have a freedom to operate study prior to taking on money, for instance. One of the things you should know is you sh should continue to do the FTO study uh, routinely for the next 18 months, because if you hadn't found patents yet, some patents can lay open. So if you just announce a product, you have about 18 months before uh, you can see all the patents that have been laid open from that time, because the penalty time in the patent office is about 18 months. One of the things you can do is modify all your outgoing information to not teach how, uh, because absolutely that's how people find you. They literally find your product or service that's either in your website or product specification. Uh, very rarely do they tear your product apart, but some do. But if you can modify the outgoing information, what you can do is you can make it hard, harder for them to find that their patents are overlapping with your product. One of the things you can do to leverage FTO is you can market directly in a competitor's market without fear. So if you have a good FTO clearance, then you can be very bullish in the market to compete on things like cost and all the other things and not worry about patent suits. One of the things that we can do is sort of to learn from the FTO what others are doing. What a great way to understand what the competitors are doing by looking at their patents related to your product. And you can carefully look at these differences that you see and ask yourself the question, you know, how can we be innovative like that? So it's useful to know where their patents are from a competitive standpoint. One of the things we find is continually staying away from patents of others through the FTO research is a very healthy product uh, development process. One of the things we also talked about is from the FTO, you can learn how to patent in front of or on top of competitors, giving you great trading cards. But actually when you learn to patent in front of or on top of competitors' patents, you're really creating new product ideas. One of the things is you can use this FTO as a strategy by, by creating competitive product or services that circumnavigate around other patents. And finally, one of the things you can do to leverage FTO is a good FTO efforts help to reduce willful infringement if it comes to 
finding out that you were wrong. Because if you've done free to operate, and as an executive, you were convinced that you had free to operate, if you're ever brought into court with a, a patent litigation by showing the judge that you had done an appropriate business response by getting uh, opinions that you weren't infringing, uh, the best thing is that now it, it probably would likely be less willful damages. Willful damages can be up to 3x. So at least a, 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 a small cost FTO uh, with a reasonable output is great insurance against 3x willful. So let's move on now and talk about topic number five, number five, how to build FTO thinking into your product development or IP strategy. FTO is just one of the many IP tactics that we've talked about, but this tactic clearly is one that helps reduce risk. FTO can be done iteratively in product design as a tool for product design. It's a best practice to build and learning on others. Uh, it allows you to understand the ideas of others and their, their patents, which you could then uh, sort of think about and add to improve to your thinking of your own product development. It should be noted here that non-practicing entities, those are companies that have patents that don't have products so they can't get counted sued, can actually go to your website and product descriptions to find patents that they can litigate. Believe me, there are companies that will look at your product or service and then strip them down and then they'll go find patents to buy and then they'll use those patents to come and litigate against you. These are some of the things that uh, NPEs do. So FTO thinking that will help you on your website because you eliminate the teachings of the how. So it'll be harder for a non-practicing entity to know exactly what you're doing. It should also be noted, you know, that competitors may also be using FTO on your patents. So it would be worth inventing around and on top of your own patents because you can expand your portfolio. So maybe their FTO that they've done later on as they improve their product, they can bump into your new patents. You know, you can patent incremental inventions. Uh, initially, that's done to stop copycats, but by patenting incremental inventions, even on top of their products, uh, uh, can help you give a position. And this, once again, goes to lowering risk because it helps you with freedom to operate, especially giving you trading cards. FTO studies can be done very specifically like that Excel chart I showed you, where your product elements are in columns and you search for patents in the rows to see the overlap where those X's are. But you know, you can broaden the study and you can do an IP landscape, which is more general of a value chain and, and, and building around the product and build out kind of a white space. So when you're developing products, if you're developing in the white space, that's another way of making sure that you're developing with freedom to operate in mind. You know, once you get good at FTO, freedom to operate uh, research, you'll be able to do a lot of things like uh, do the reverse, which is called evidence of use, which we'll talk about in our next podcast. Evidence of use, for instance, is you having patents and trying to find others who are violating your patents. So getting good at FTO will allow you to be really good at the reverse as well. FTO expertise in a business acts almost like a virus in the sense that once you start getting good at one IP practice, it starts to make you want to be better at other practices. So now using the practice of using prior art for product design or understanding competitors' direction for product design, or directing new inventions based on product design. So when we start to think about all those things that we can do to build FTO thinking in your product development or IP strategy, certainly there is a lot. Now let's talk about the last topic, topic six, the future of FTO. You know, I've been thinking a lot about how artificial intelligence has been impacting the space of intellectual property for years. And FTO certainly is one of those. Once FTO is done, you need to watch the patents that are being laid open, as I mentioned before. Well, this can be done 
very expensively by hiring somebody to do it over and over again. But there are technologies where you can use web crawlers and chaser technology that can be doing this where you get a report every week. So we have a particular chaser that we've developed to chase FTO. So likewise, you could build a web crawler to essentially look at this every week or, or every month. Then there's software that I showed you like Sherlock that can be used to kind of automate the FTO risk. So all the things I mentioned that we could do in Sherlock, like the technical risk and patent risk and company risk can all be web crawlers and they can be chased. What's really good about this is that many times small companies don't have a lot of products so it doesn't take much, but for large companies that have very uh, you know, complex products, this might be a thing to do. Product design software also using AI could be used in FTO. So sort of think about it. Imagine a CAD system that allows you to design some sort of apparatus in the CAD system itself as you start to add product components, it could add up costs. As you're adding product design changes, it could be telling you about the stresses and the strains of the, of the metals, et cetera. There's all this technology around automating product design. Now imagine product design tools actually integrating FTO into it. So as you're developing a product, all of a sudden it starts to blink yellow or red that it looks like you're in the territory of other product, of other, other companies' patents. So you steer away from developing patent products in the direction of others. Uh, patents. You know, large companies always claim they can't do FTO on a complex product. Uh, and this is probably one reason why they get litigated against. So this kind of automation of product design could help them as well. One of the things is if we truly had a robust FTO set of tools and strong event around skills, so we know what the patents are that we're going to worry about, and then we invent around it. If every company started to do design this expertise, then what would happen is many, many patent litigations would not occur at all because you know about that you have free and operate and you're inventing around it if you do, which is actually one of the things about the patent system. It was meant to promulgate the arts. So if you get a patent in a particular space, uh, it stops others from getting in that direct space, but you can invent around and move into the same market with a different design uh, or different invention. And this promulgates the arts, right? Because you're not just copying things over and over again, you're inventing to get around the patents. So in our future, good FTO, especially when it's automated with AI, with all these tools and good invent around uh, with all those tools and embedding this stuff and things like product design really allows you to get to the point that maybe uh, patents become less valuable if these tools to lower risk about patents get stronger. So let's wrap up. We talked about in topic one, what is free to operate? What types or levels or reviews are there? We talked about the three different levels. We learned that many times people do it in an ad hoc way with their experience. We talked about things like the non-legal review and also the, which is inexpensive. And we talked about the legal reviews, which tend to be a lot more expensive and also very risk averse. So you can pick one of those. And our recommendation was to do the non-legal technical review first, because that's the cheapest. There's a lot of service providers that do this. And it's certainly better than risking not having the experience and having someone in the company do it. And topic number two, we said, what, should, what else should you consider if you start to find FTO as a real problem? So we talked about you know, frameworks like Sherlock, where you look at the patent risks. Is it a very, very strong patent to begin with? Or, or the company risks, are they litigious? Are they, do they have money? Uh, or even the, the sort of technical risks of how much of your product is actually covered by that patent. The product could have 45 elements in it, and you found a patent that had five elements in it. Uh, and so the risk or apportioned is five divided by 45 generally as an apportion of a problem. 
So ask yourself, what things can you really consider on top of the sort of basic kind of spreadsheet, your product claims against others' patents and assessing that risk? In topic number three, we talk about things you can do if there's an FTO risk. Some of these tactics or fixes, as I mentioned, I think we had eight or nine of these fixes. We discussed a number of them, from inventing around, buying patents for kind of litigation, having third party buy patents, uh, or even hiding claim elements or making it difficult for our competitors or MPEs to size up a lawsuit. This is only a limited podcast. We have dozens and dozens of these risk-reducing tactics, but just to mention a few uh, in topic number three. In topic number four, we asked the question, well, now that I got FTO done and I'm doing all this stuff, how can I leverage it? Well, we discussed many things you could do to leverage, leverage the FTO work. One of the best things is to let the board know there's comfort that you're not violating patents or let the investors know that you're free and clear from litigation, particularly if you're trying to raise money. We discussed how you can actually win in the market if you knew you had total freedom to operate. And we also talked about how to know uh, from freedom to operate the IP position of others and then use that for product design, which led to the next topic, topic five. How do you build FTO thinking into your podcast development or IP strategy? We discussed that although FTO processes really is just an IP tactic to reduce risk, it's also great for product design and also great for MPE defense. More importantly, FTO excellence starts you on the journey of other improved processes, almost like a virus. When you start to improve that process for FTO, you can start improving other processes in the company. And topic number six, the future of FTO, as I mentioned, uh, looking at chaser technologies and web crawlers and AI. But the future of FTO thinking is that at the, bet, the more you can add sort of AI to figure out if you're designing products that have uh, issues with freedom to operate, that's good. If you get really good at inventing around, that's good. If you can assess risk with Sherlock type platforms, that's really good. And if you start to use AI in an automated way with strong invent arounds, all of a sudden you get to the point that, you know, maybe patents won't become as much of a problem. It's the balance, it's the opposite side of this problem because very strong patents litigated, you might lose a lot of money and potentially get kicked out of a market. But the other balance is that it's really up to you because good FTO searching with all these other tools allows you to be free and clear of the FTO, uh, of, of the risk of getting patents. So why not do an FTO uh, to ensure that you're out of the risk? And please remember, uh, subscribe to our podcast if you like us and come join us on our blog, Invent Anything.